0: Hello and welcome to everybody. Um, Welcome to Second Sunday Readings. My name is Sean Killingsworth. I'm the curator and the host of the series. I'm really glad that you can be here today. I'm super excited for our three wonderful poets. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, And our featured poets today are Griffin Epstein. Steen? Stein? Oh my god. Uh, Our second poet is Andrea Deacon and our third is Nicole Tallman. I am so grateful to the three of you for sharing your work with us. I've been following you guys on social media, so I know that we're in for a good treat today. And so everyone, if you could just take a moment, all the audience members, if you could silence your cell phones and mute yourselves. Um, We don't want any extraneous noises popping in through our recording. So this will be recorded. We are going to be putting it up on the YouTube channel, hopefully by the end of next week. Um, Assuming we don't have any tech surprises, you never know when those gremlins are going to get you. So uh, with no further ado, I would love to get started. Our first poet up to the mic is Griffin. Okay, so Griffin is a non-binary white settler occupier from New York City or Lenape land, which I remember uh, swimming against Lenape swim teams when I was a kid. So I I know exactly where you are. Uh, Working in education and community-driven research in Toronto uh, with Dish With One Spoon slash Treaty 13. They've been featured in Glad Day's Emerging Writers series and their poetry has appeared in CV2, Grain, The Maynard, and Plenitude, among others. Um, Griffin is the author of the chapbook So We May Be Fed from Frog Hollow Press. They're also a musician and a member of the experimental video game collective Shrunken Studios. So Griffin, you are on. Please unmute yourself.
1: Okay, hi everyone. Uh, You're over here on my second screen and my writing is over here so if you see me looking back and forth that's why. I'm Griffin. Uh, As Sean said I'm joining you from Toronto. Um, Thank you to Sean and to Glenn and to Andrea and Nicole and everyone who insists on poetry right now in the world. Um, For me as a white person occupying stolen land and trying to find my way towards solidarity with others in the midst of so much structural violence and preventable sickness and institutions working as they were murderously designed. I know it can be hard for me to remember to make space for poetry because poetry requires me to be okay with not being immediately useful, uh, with not knowing, with stillness and with being in between. Um, I've been thinking of it today as a sort of a doorframe and events like these are helpful because they remind me that I need a doorframe to brace in when the earth beneath me is shaking. Um, So I'm going to share a cycle of poems I've been experimenting with Some are very new and some are not so new. They wrestle with experiences of madness and queer and transness and complicity and what makes a life. Um, Just a heads up for content on troubled relationships with eating and the body and a poem about suicide um, called They Find Jay" near the end. And I'm going to read them straight through. Ugly language. My hunger rises from the bed, trailing old words for worth and weight predictions of a future which is no future, gendered with violation lines, too red to be ignored. Now that I am better, I'm not supposed to think this way. There are workbooks that teach a person to rewire their brain, delete this caustic reenactment, teenage girl rigid at the window or weeping in the corner in her size one jeans. Because to cleave means to hang on and to fracture, I wake in the morning with all that is no longer me familiar sounds, wounds in need of suture, marks on my thumb where in sleep my teeth nearly split open the seams. The month we stopped sleeping. Suddenly everything leapt into continuous motion, the debunked tripartite brain, your fearful shoulders, wing bones seizing our bodies, seeding the soil of the pillowcase in your sweatpants pockets, my shovel hands. Leave me alone, I say wriggling further down the bed. I am counting backwards from the end. I am circumnavigating the half moons of spit on the sheets. I am looking for the tapped stash of Atarax, lorazepam, zopiclone. You sit upright again and gesture at your heart as if to say, here it is. In the game of which of these photos feature rabbits, streetlights, motorcycles, maps, we are being beaten like aquafaba eggs, whipped and hardly working from a reduced capacity to discern whose elbow is this, whose rib, which of us is seeding, ceasing, throwing misleading shadows on the wall, locked in this even match we wrestle. Yes, we wrestle all night.
2: Intentions.
1: This year, I will embark on a meditation spree of spiritual power, body neutrality, and steamy self-love. Sleep will be my personal confessor. I will give birth to myself. There will be no mothers at all. This year I will dream only dreams of my old dog brushing back the ocean with his tongue, dulling the edge of the knife that is the new day. Come in, come in, the water's fine.
2: It doesn't matter who you are, it's what you do,
1: unless who you are is what's been done to you. Don't ask to be safe, ask what's inside, The door, the key, the box where they keep your original sound, the myth of choice, strange cuts of meat. We become each other only in that what matters is conserved. You are not responsible for what happened, but what comes next. Against Diagnosis 1. Experts say my head is a saltine, full of holes, good for kids. As if I was pulled from the deck of threats different but complete. Tell me to stop playing. Walk like I have wiring between my ears, in my gut, and wish to be cured. Experts say, eat this or that. Make a menu of your needs. Give yourself a special name. Grab the new heroics while you can. Wait for applause like clinking glass. This
2: is very new.
1: it's called If Trauma Made Me Queer, History Made Me Trans. And it's after Raquel Salas Rivera. Trauma is clinical, not living or wet. We forget. It names us, makes claims, takes power back. There was harm. The harm predates me. I worry it like water, as in it takes the shape of its container, or spilling over gives the container shape. Made me. My mother liked to confiscate my objects, telephone, scale, little red guitar. I left a candle burning in the bedroom. We had a house, the fire took it, we didn't have it anymore. I could have learned about property some kinder, gentler way, but what happens, happens. It doesn't happen instead. Queer. People say it's natural, desire, pleasure, need. Talk about the brain like you can call a plumber, a doctor, a lover, a friend. But I know wanting only in the abstract. Lay your hand on me, baby. I'll fill your room with ash. History. What in English we call gender is nothing more or less than that. A doing of violence, a function of systems, a tragedy in acts. Nuclear family, emphasis on the explosion, apprehension, possession, discontent. Made me. The promise, the danger of clinical language is that it bends biology, makes what's wet and living seem inevitable, fixed. A body, culpable, directional, does predate you, is not a destination. This is not an argument. It is a changeable fact. Trans. Anyway, I stopped eating. Anyway, I cut off my breasts, but not, and this is important, completely. The surgeon said, I don't do sex reassignment. And I said, that's okay. I don't believe in sex. I am just asking you to blank me, to make me lesser than water, remembering its container. I refuse to take shape.
2: With you, it can be sunset every hour.
1: The evening pulls across the sky, thrumming sweetness, smooth as water spilled from the blue glass on the floor, as we pass this tongue of light between us, a rectangle of shadow appears and disappears on the wall like breath. We're at the halfway point. We're OK? Everyone's OK?
2: OK. Um, I can't see you.
1: Uh, uh, You're doing
0: great. You're great.
2: <laughs> halfway,
1: halfway Mark.
0: Please, no, please continue. <laughs> uh,
1: Love Tester Arcade. Glory to the girl too drunk on the toilet, froyo and peach schnapps spilling from her mouth, a living colander gifting hot plumes of glitter to the sewers, fountain of Prozac and pixie sticks, shaved eyebrows and spring weeds. Sing to her, Miss Strip Mall 97, queen of her thick hell of context, polished bones swaddled in fake fur and fishnets, shard of shame stalking the length of Central Ave. Show her where to go to meet true teens, TM from the AOL chatroom who call her chicken little, tell her to undress, gift her their pink dyed pubes, their pierced tongues, XY on the table, SNL on TV, praise her. Girl angry, girl afraid, girl generous, loving and mean, cheating her age up, sending shirtless Polaroids to anyone who asks, pray to her, spawn of herself, That baby, 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 baby who got you through and sits waiting, rigid, perched at the edge of your window, her tracking eyes still glued to the street. Accounting. No one has purchase on pain, but you will be asked to account for what you take. The blue scaffolding of your life, the purple box of city sky you place over your head to obscure the sorrow stringing the muscles in your cheeks. The drawer for the dead should be your top drawer. It is also the best place for underwear and socks. You must keep a record of everything you use. Each molecule of air circulating through the fan on the dresser, singing into your open pores. There can never be too much comparison, too much compromise. No one knows what they're supposed to do, but you must learn to cope. Be the salt in any solution, the memory of a house asleep, hair knotted in the motorized wheels of a toy truck, a checklist bird crying to do, to do, an individual ocean's accumulation of sand. The ledger you keep should open neatly at the spine, columns stacked face to clean face, debts, confiscations, cheat days, apologies, A true calculus, cold as ice to reduce the swelling of how you survive, packed around your aching chest, or at least transpose this mess of random wanting into a door with a handle, a lock with a key, a story, a sound, something someone needs. Teach yourself to masturbate at 35. All these years it is impossible, and then bang, I explode into my true form, an ant in shiny segments, a living semicolon wriggling away. Oh, and the great hand descends to crush this new and startling body, leaving me nothing but a hidden YouTube history, a streak of heavy rain. Dear Force Light, animate argument, holy whatever, grant me the serenity to learn anew, the courage to shake myself blank and the wisdom to come
2: clean. They find Jay.
1: They find Jay at the bottom of the ravine, 25 years after our occult period. Those sixth grade days spent bunched at the back of the library, the true Amityville horror spread across our knees. Cole gets a proper Ouija board. Julie learns alpha state and leads us in a trance. I keep a record in my Mead composition book. We lay our hands on one another and pretend. Message from Julie's neighbor who threw himself in front of a train. Sorry. Message from Kurt Cobain. Sorry, too. Message from the teenage victim of a murder we find later on blurry microfiche papers who warns us of danger coming for a kid called Big Ears. We debate for weeks who this might be. Maybe that boy who talks on the loudspeaker. Maybe that girl whose seat I spread with glue. Maybe Jay, who looks at no one. Jay with the freckles and heavy shadow. Loud, lonely, singular Jay. We like this power, sorting, predicting, like any power. Take it where we can and then forget. Life gets busy. Julie starts prepping for Yale or Harvard. Cole finds a dealer and gets kicked out of school. I learn accounting, the calories in lip smacker, the fat content of stamps. Just like that, the three of us becoming what is necessary, squeezing our eyes until we see the blue of the scaffolding holding up the landscape, sitting in a circle after hours in the classroom, drawing magic symbols in Sharpie on our arms. We are trying to make contact with something bigger than ambition buzzing on our skin, the expectant economies of parents and teachers and film industry family friends and thinking there must be a price. Maybe it's Jay who is marked, Jay who will be paying. Sure, Jay has big ears. And the years pass as they do, 25 of them. So this Mother's Day when my mom says, I guess you've heard, she is weirdly casual, and I haven't. Haven't spoken to them for decades, not Julie or Cole or Jay who I barely knew, who I thought might grow up to be a bass player or work in sports TV, Jay like all those other learning children, every one of us who opted in. I hadn't heard, hadn't thought about, but with 40 on the horizon, no one wants to say it, it's wrong to say it, but with the pace of inflation, the drag of Hudson River, with the rising price of property, the teeth of the ravine. I have um, two more poems.
2: This is Against Diagnosis 4. I refuse to disown my sickness. I am mother
1: to her, cover her with fresh love turned up like soil. In these years of sad time and vitamins, I have learned to feed her when she's hungry, change her when she's wet, wave to her through the cut paper taped to the window of the kindergarten class, Choose her, signal of herself, not to be prefixed with blood or brain or name she can't understand. In her open palm, I place the days between us in seeds and buttons and wait for her to notice. We are already standing at the gates of ease. Um, And this is the last piece. It's called No More Holy. And um, it's with gratitude to the poet, Liz Howard. Someday there will be more doors. Someday we with ambiguous accidental bodies who carry the debt of shame in the thread of our bones will no longer need to be divine. Someday we will see the shadows on our faces, rivered impressions at the spill of our hips for what they are. Marks from where we brushed against another living universe where no one has to be small or infinite to be touched where children are named for the light where it happens to fall. And the caterpillar can spin a cocoon to emerge still a caterpillar, but new. Okay, that's it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sean and Glenn and Andrea and Nicole. Thank you to people who are here. I'm gonna drop, I have a website in the chat and um, there is there are two other amazing poets here that I can see, Guy Ewing and Shannon Quinn. And thank you both for being here. I feel really happy to have been here and um, back it.
0: Thank you so much, Griffin. God, that was amazing. What a phenomenal reading. I'm so pleased you could make it. I'm so glad you felt comfortable and safe sharing your work with us here today. I, just absolutely wonderful. And so... Gosh, Uh, our next poet is Andrea Deacon. Andrea was born in rural Missouri. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in Beltway Poetry Quarterly, Beyond Queer Words, The Blue Mountain Review, Ran Off with the Star Bassoon, Spoon River Poetry Review, Valley Voices, and elsewhere. Her debut chapbook, Mother Kingdom, won the 2021 Slappering Hole Press Chapbook Competition and was a finalist in the 2022 International Book Awards a former book editor. She's worked in public libraries for 15 years. She lives in Portland, Oregon, which is an awesome freaking place with her wife and daughter. So Andrea, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Wow, Griffin,
3: that was incredible. I am like, I got chills from your poems. And so I'm still recovering from that. Um, Can everybody hear me? Okay. I'm actually joining me from my phone, joining you from my phone. And I'm drawing you from the library, so hopefully there aren't <laughs> a lot of um, noises. Um, sounds great. So, awesome. Um, I'm really excited to be here and to be reading with these fine poets today. Um, I thought I would read some poems from my chapbook, Mother Kingdom, which just came out this past March. Um, it's from Slappering Hall Press out in the Hudson Valley, and it deals with um, themes of mothering, but not necessarily in the traditional sense. It's almost about how to be a mother to yourself. Um, also about queerness and identity. And the first poem I'm going to read is called Evolution. Um, I grew up in Missouri, even though I live out here in Portland. And so a lot of my poems have that as sort of the, a, another character in the poem is, is the, that rural setting. Um, and in the poem Evolution, it starts with my father who is searching for arrowheads, who, um, which was something he did a lot when I was a child. Um, so, So this one's called Evolution. Was it when I followed my father to the fields, his back hunched, searching for arrowheads, my feet sinking in the newly turned earth? Or was it seeing my mother from the doorway, her back a waning crescent in the dark? Words came easily to me then, alone with paper, my mind a sweet shadow, time a blanket around my shoulders but coming out my mouth they choked and stumbled my face the crushed color of cherries stuck to the bottom of a boot when I told my father I was gay he was chopping radishes their red skins half moons on the cutting board little gleams of white like a promise worth keeping his careful hands slicing their rough wintered edges that held so many things Dogs, babies, stones the color of starlight, my wild heart beating the knife's calm rhythm. What can I fix you to eat? My mother was not so easy. Her face pinched pale in the thick dark of her bedroom, thin covers, a moat of righteous limbs, and I the only sinner. Even now, all these years later, my heart closes when I hear her voice. Today it's cold, but the crocuses are coming up, ochre pollen petals, small as thimbles. Soon the geese will head back north, their black wings cutting through soundless cloud. Thank you. Um, My next poem is called First Kill. So when I was a kid, um, I grew up an only child, but when I was in seventh grade, my parents got divorced. My father remarried, his second wife had six children. And um, one of my new siblings was also 13 years old. um, And we were exactly the same age, both born the same month, um, four days apart. So in this poem, we are together in a deer stand and this one's called First Kill. On the inside, the deer stand was surprisingly small. White bucket in the corner, wet sawdust and piss. The thrill of being alone with him, this new brother I had gotten just weeks before by way of a second marriage, four days apart, the two of us, born the same month and year. My father had taken us hunting. Anything could happen. I don't know who saw it first, but soon it was in our hands as we stood side by side, holding the magazine, curling at the edges, all those women and our eyes on them like magnets. When my father returned with a doe, calling and calling our names, we scampered down the steps, guilty children, our minds already on dinner. Years would pass before I knew the soft rumblings in my body, could begin to speak its impossible language. But in the deer stand, the crickets were loud in my ears. The humid air stuck to my skin as I carefully turned the pages. My new brother just inches from my molting body, its pimpled cheeks and long coltish legs, our heads bowed as if in prayer. That night we dined like kings. Oh, thank you. Um, let's see. My next one's called before girls there, there was God. Uh, I went to Catholic school. It's something I'm still recovering from. (laughs) And, um, it was customary when you were a senior to go on these, like these retreats, uh, they're called teens encounter Christ. And so in this poem, the speaker comes back just filled with the Holy spirit, but possibly maybe they're just in love with their counselor. So it's called before girls, there was God. When I was young, I'd ask my father to go to work with him. Sweaty Missouri summers, Mountain Dew, and Junior Mints. Cutting grass at the city cemetery. He put me on a riding mower at 10. I had it precisely mapped out. Three passes for each row, my skinny legs stuck to the hot black seat. The blade lined up just so to get close enough to the graves without scraping the sides. At 17, I got religion. For three days, Catholic girls in sleeping bags held hands, our Bibles tucked lovingly between us. My mother's idea, a retreat will do you good. All the girls were going. I didn't think much of it, just another chore until I saw her that first night. Darla, the counselor in college, a gold cross nestled in the hollow of her neck, kissed tan with summer. She smelled like coconut lotion and juicy fruit, the clove cigarettes she'd sneak at lunch. When she smiled at me, I felt saved. I came back from that weekend filled with the Holy Spirit, thinking of her taut calves, the tiny blonde hairs just above her knees, the way she said my name, On the mower, it was always one pass on the left side, the same thing on the right. My father coming behind me with the string trimmer to get the grass just right between the graves, all the edges I'd missed. He sliced through those blades of stinging July grass like they were silk. But it was the third pass, the last pass, that was my favorite. I called it the middle. I'd floor the motor as fast as it could go, riding on top of those sun-setting souls bound by the old law. I was still alive, flying, free. Thank you. Um, let's see, I'm taking the time. Um, I'm gonna switch gears and read a poem about parenting. Um, I have a nine-year-old daughter, which is, a wild age <laughs> they're all they're all wild in different ways but um this poem is called we carry stones with seasons inside them and it's about when she was around five or six she was ob- obsessed with um stacking rocks and perfect piles and in this poem we go in search of them but um everything goes wrong of course and what i find interesting about parenting is i'm often in these moments where i'll just flash back to my own childhood Um, but this time the roles are reversed and I'm the parents that are the child. So something strange about parenting. So this is called, We Carry Stones With Seasons Inside Them. Newly six, my daughter fills her fists with rocks to stack from the bruised edge of the Columbia, just north of our house in the city. She squints and stomps like a displeased general everything has gone wrong. The wind and water stretch around us, a large lumbering animal rubbing its eyes. It will be fall in a few weeks. Mama, they are too small, she says, not flat enough for the fierce towers in her mind. Her legs blur as she charges ahead. Soon she is on to the next item of business that I'm left searching how much she starts that I take on as my own, what motherhood is, the push and pull of waves at the shore. I pocket those that call to me, mostly smooth ones giving me a kind of peace, probably the closest thing to prayer I've ever felt, river rock to skin. We walk to the top of the boat ramp, jagged concrete ridges reminding me of the time when I was seven or eight, and played hide and seek with the summer people a half mile from our house on the Osage. I don't remember if I was it when I fell, slicing my knee on those steep steps, blood caught in the grooves. I looked for a boat full of people, coolers and catfish, tackle hanging off the sides. Instead, there was only murky water, bloated bugs and old beer cans, my blood, Someone's cousin carried me all the way, running toward our cabin at the end of the tree-lined gravel, windows dark, the dogs barking. It's bad, you're gonna need stitches. My sweaty hands held his neck. Already shrinking into myself, I shrugged it off, a summer blossom closing at dusk. At the hospital, they gave me six stitches. The boy had been right. It was my body, and I was the last to know. Thank you. See, I've just got a couple more. Um, my next one's called, a uh, poem for my daughter on the day they announced the end of the world. And it's about just that. <laughs> so I'll just start reading. Um, she just started talking to me about climate change too just recently. Anyway, kids kids know so much these days. Um, They're they're just caring so much, you know. So this is called Poem for My Daughter on the Day They Announced the End of the World. The radio said there had been a mistake. The oceans in fact are 60% warmer than we thought. I'm cutting broccoli to put in a pot to boil. Quickly because I have to leave to pick, you up from this, to pick you up from school, to take you to the dentist where they will examine your tiny teeth, smooth white chiclets, small as my pinky nail, and later there won't be time. There is never enough time. The laundry remains unfolded days after it comes out of the dryer. Weeds grow through the bark chips, dandelion seeds you wildly blow, No matter how I try, I can never get to the root. You can count to 60 in two languages. This morning at breakfast, 16, 17, 18, mama, are you listening? Now the pot nearly boils over, catching the thin skin of my wrist. Bloom of pain petal, sink pollen, the crust of the oatmeal bowl, It seems the earth is more sensitive to climate than we realized. I know it's time to go. Five minutes till the last bell. You'll be left too long and I can't bear the thought of you waiting. Thank you. I've got one more poem. It's a new one I'm working on. Um, It's called The Grief Factory and um, I, I sort of was imagining like what if grief was something you could like tangibly hold on your hands, a physical object that you could see and touch. And that's what it's about. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a wonderful treat. So this is my last one, The Grief Factory. At first stones rows of them, the quiet calm, the trajectory of the conveyor belt the hands of the workers adjusting for shape and size. The grief factory keeps odd hours. It is usually open in the dead of night. Stone after stone passed down the moving belt, a living record of the grief the world has made. Backs bent to the never ending task of assembly, to what has been lost. An absence of touch, the sound of your mother's voice, and how their hands could be my own. In the grief factory, they are churning out sadness in the shape of small stones. They number in the hundreds, pile up at the worker's feet. Their job is to stack them until the rocks become a wall, too high to climb, until they begin to run out of room. So unaccustomed is the world to love. One day, Filled in at the factory, and after eight hours on the floor, I looked down in shock. Instead of river rocks, smooth and heavy at the throat, ripe for stacking, suddenly there were flowers. Purple petals, stamens long and yellow, falling in soft piles at my feet. Each and every rock my heart had once held for you now turned to flowers in my hands. And that's when I knew you were really gone, forever lost to me in all the ways you've chosen to use your love as a weapon, a garden growing in the feet of my letting go.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea. This is so great. I have to say one of, one of the, the, thing, the the hardest things about being a host, um, and especially when you're hosting so many great poets, is that I feel the urge to to sort of you know editorialize and to be like, oh that you know this poem knocked me out for this reason, or these you know phrases were so moving, or this you know gave me chills. And and it's better if I just shut up because I would be doing nothing but gush the whole time. So um, on that note, we're going to move along to our next poet. Uh, Nicole Tallman. Uh, so, Nicole uh, Nicole is the Poetry Ambassador for the Miami-Dade County uh, and Poetry and Reviews Editor for the Blue Mountain Review. She is the author of Something Kindred from Southern Collective Experience Press, and her next two books, Versace, which is like Versace, but like with an F, Versace, and Poems for the People are forthcoming next year. She's also the editor of Stay Golden, a Golden Girls-inspired special zine published by The Daily Drunk, and she's co-editor with Maureen Seaton of We Who Rise from Saltwater Let's Sing, which is a uh, collaborative heroic sonnet crown for the mayor and residents of Miami-Dade County. I had honestly no idea that Miami was such a hotbed of poetry, and I'm kind of excited to learn this, so... Uh, Maybe I'll find myself in Miami one day. Uh, So you can find Nicole on Twitter and Instagram at N.A. Tallman and at NicoleTallman.com. So Nicole, if you are ready, please take it away.
4: I am. Thank you so much, Sean and Glenn and Griffin and Andrea. And I see my friend Maureen is here, my co-editor of the Heroic Sonic Crown and my friends Lenny and Michael. So thank you so much for being here and new friends that we have today yes Miami is definitely a hotbed for poetry we'd love to have you sometime Sean I'm um I'm gonna read seven poems for you today and I only say that because I like to just kind of give cues along the way of where I am so the, that readers can follow along and I'm going to read kind of a sampling of poems I I, I kind of like to give shout outs to journals that have published my work so I'm probably going to do that along the way and um I'm glad that Andrea read that grief poem because for those of you who aren't familiar with my work it is a little bit heavy um so just to give you that content warning if you're a little sensitive to grief and death um I'm going to be reading about that but I'm going to try to end on a lighter note so um I'm going to take you through the emotions a little bit it won't be too too heavy for too too long we'll we'll try to we'll try to end a little light so that you can have um a good rest of your Sunday but this first poem that I want to read to you I like to read on Sundays because um For me, um, I I tend to write, my my mother passed away um, on a Sunday and um, I for a while wrote a lot of poems for her on Sundays and I have this poem called Sundays Are for Elegies and it was published in this um, journal called Cloves Literary. So I'm going to read that for you first. This is Sundays Are for Elegies. Sundays are for elegies and by that I mean let the rain out. I've got enough sadness for seven more blood moons. Flutter to the ground like the wing cut fly stunned mid-flight. Stay down for a while, stay still. Drink only rose water, maybe a little time. Going to write your name until
2: the ink runs out of blue, until the day runs dry. This next poem I'm going to read I actually think I'm only gonna read one poem from Something Kindred, which is um,
4: the book that I published in February. I've been reading from it a lot. So I just I just kind of wanna read one from there and move on. But this particular poem I, I wrote um, for Frida Hughes, who is the daughter of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. And it was published in Something Kindred and then it was reprinted in Swim, which is another magazine I really love um, here in Miami and they ran it as part of their book fair author series and I was very grateful to them for that. So thank you ladies of SWIM for publishing my work. This is on reading poems, I now sympathize with daughters of dead mothers for Frida Hughes. It's hard to look at this picture of Frida and not feel something tragic. Mother, father, brother, dead, one by oven, one by cancer, one by hanging. It's hard just to look at this picture of Frida with her menagerie of pets, poems, and paintings. Yes, I mean the Frida with an E, not Frida Kahlo. Frida Hughes, I want to buy one of your paintings, a green one representing the joy of being able to work on my poetry or something other creative. Frida Hughes, I want to eat all of your mother's poems and all of your paintings. It's hard not to look at Frida and feel something kindred us daughters of dead mothers. It's hard to look at Frida and feel something so protective to say to us
2: through our mothers, they're there, you made it. Thank you. So I like to read other people's work um,
4: sometimes in my set. And I recently had the honor of interviewing Victoria Chang with the help of of Michael, who's here in the audience. And um, I actually interviewed her about her latest book, The Trees Witness Everything. But my my favorite Victoria Chang book, and actually one of my favorite poetry books of all time is Obit. And uh, I wanna read a poem from Obit for you. It's called The Blue Dress. And um, this is by and for Victoria Chang. The blue dress, The blue dress died on August 6, 2015, along with the little blue flowers, all silent. Once the petals looked up, now small pieces of dust. I wonder whether they burned the dress or just the body. I wonder who lifted her up into the fire. I wonder if her hair brushed his cheek before it grew into a bonfire. I wonder what the sound, what sound the body made as it burned. They dyed her hair too black for the funeral. She looked like a comic character. I waited for the next comic panel to see the speech bubble and what she might say. But her words never came, and we were left with the stillness of blown glass, the irreversibility of rain, and millions of little blue flowers. Imagination is having to live, in a dead person's future.
2: Grief is wearing a dead person's dress forever. One of the reasons why I wanted to read that poem to you is because I I wrote a, a
4: poem after Victoria Chang, Chang in the style of Obit. And um, I'm from Michigan originally. And when I moved to Florida, I, I it was difficult for me at first. It still is a little bit difficult just because I missed the four seasons that I had in Michigan and in the, and in the Midwest. And so I wrote this series of poems called The Death of Four Seasons and I've published three out of those four seasons. And uh, since we're in fall, I'm gonna read that one for you. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of fall where, where where you may be. For me, it's not so much. It feels like summer all the time here, but <laughs> if it's fall and crisp and brisk where you are, this one's for you. This is fall after Victoria Chang. Fall died on January 3rd, 2006, when I officially moved to Florida. Fall was my mother's favorite season before she died. I think it was probably mine too, but I'm no longer sure what I love. Do I just love everything that my mother did? The leaves falling from trees turning blue. They say blue is the warmest color, but I say it's orange. My mother painted so many stills of trees. She said her favorite color was red, but she painted all the leaves bright orange. I never asked her why. I was too self-absorbed to ask her much of anything. When my friend Laura mailed me two of my dead mother's paintings, I cried for days. All the bright orange I remembered had faded to brown. My mother hated brown.
2: I fingered the canvases of our past for clues. She told me to look inside. Thank you. So this next poem is,
4: um, it's gonna be part of the new book that I have coming out in February called Poems for the People. And um, this is one I wrote, um, and I know Michael's gonna laugh at me, but it's after Alex Dimitrov, my favorite, other favorite poet. Look at him, look at this face he's making. Yes, I'm obsessed with Alex Dimitrov. Um, He wrote a poem called Poem for the Reader in his book, Love and Other Poems. And I wrote a response poem to that called Poem for the Dead. And um, it was published first in an anthology called Dreams and Nightmares, edited by Ora Martin, who's a great poet. And this is gonna be the first poem in my new book that's coming out in February. So this is poem for the dead, including my mom after Alex Dimitrov. Since we'll never likely be together again, anywhere but here, what season were you most alive in? Is there morning or color where you are? Do you have freedom? If so, how are you using it? Would you rather be a bird or an angel? Permanent day or never ending night? if there are hours when are your most difficult do you know who you were before this why or why not and now that there's fire are you in heaven or hell more time or less
2: do you still feel happiness would you return to earth this dream or anywhere else um i'm going to read I'm
4: going to try to get a little lighter here with my with my last two poems for you. So um, my dad is um, he tries to be as supportive as he possibly can, but he just doesn't really understand poetry a whole lot. And uh, when I first started writing and 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 publishing my poems, he'd ask me to send him stuff because he was genuinely interested in what I was writing and publishing. And I'd send, I'd text it to him and he'd text back, I don't understand what that means. It happened almost every single time. And so one day I said, you know what, I'm gonna write a poem that I know he's going to understand. And uh, this is that poem. It's called Poem for People Who Don't Like Poems, including my dad. And uh, it was first published in Had, a journal I really love. And um, I wanna thank Aaron Birch for being so supportive of my work. He's a He's an editor with Had. So this is Poem for People Who Don't Like Poems, including my dad. And I know my dad isn't listening, but this one's for you, dad. So I wrote this poem for your acceptance. Someone told me I shouldn't admit that. Someone also once told me not to use the word poem in a poem. Well, poem, poem, poem. I'm going to use this poem to break the stupid rules. I'm going to write plainly so everyone can see it. Ready? This is a poem. My dad says he's a simple man and doesn't understand poems. I'm going to write so he can understand this poem. He likes plain talk. He probably still won't like this poem. And likely, neither will you. But I'm still going to write it. And if you're the only person who likes this poem, then I've made a big difference.
2: This is a poem, and I hope it's no longer for you. So fun fact about that, when I
4: texted it to him afterwards, he wrote not bad, which I have to tell you, that is like the highest compliment a Michigan dad can give you. Not bad is like amazing, outstanding. And so I actually used that as a blurb on the back of of my next book, because I don't know, I kind of have this thing with blurbs. I won't take up too much time getting into my thing with blurbs. But um, yeah, my dad sort of blurred my book for me. So thanks, dad. Appreciate that. Um, last poem I'm going to read for you is, um, you know, it's called poem for the living and, and I kind of have a hard time committing to poems. And what I mean by that is I feel like things aren't ever really totally finished for me. It's like, I have to cut it off at some point in time to publish it, but I don't necessarily want to stop. And so I try to take the pressure off myself by publishing something, but if I want to revisit it, retitle it, rework it later, I'm going to do that. And obviously give credit to the original journal that that published it but I like to give myself lee room and flex room and flexibility if I want to change something later so this poem is actually the final poem in um, poems for the people I'm starting out with poems for the for the dead and I'm going to end on a poem called poems for the living and um it's part of a much longer poem in something kindred I I wrote um that poem one day one line at a time um Modeled after um, a poem called "Love" by Alex Dimitrov, but I decided to shorten that poem and turn it into couplets, partially inspired by a poem that I had. I've been writing, kind of still writing with Maureen, who's here, and I, I like couplets. I, I like the way they look. I like I like putting um, lines together like that. And so I reworked my poem "Love," which um, was published in Limp Wrist, which is another local um, publication. So thank you to Dustin Brookshire for for publishing that poem as well. And I turned it into a much shorter poem in couplet form, and I'm going to end with that poem. So thank you all so much for listening and for sharing the space with me and being a wonderful audience. This is Poem for the
2: Living. I love Miami in the winter. I love Michigan in the fall. I love the smell of the oldest books.
4: I love the smell of petrichor. I love buying myself red roses. I love building a fire in the snow. I love deep conversations with people I'll never see again. Love the moon more than the sun. I love Medusa and her head of snakes. I love drawing the hermit card. I love being alone in a forest. I love being alone in a field of lavender. I love being alone without feeling lonely. I love being an only child. Like you, Andrea, before you're, you know, you had the six siblings. Um, I love that happy hour isn't always happy. I love not owning a home. I love the seagull I once saw eating a discarded orange. I love going to the beach when there's no sun. I love when the muses speak to me. I love the highest note on the violin. I love the French who don't like me. I love wearing my mother's clothes. I love a day with no social events. I love you for listening to this poem. I love the rain. I love the dark. I love remembering all
2: who are no longer living. And I love remembering all that I'm living for. Thank you again.
0: Thank you so much, Nicole. God, what a lovely day. I feel so spoiled. All of these wonderful poems. And I feel so connected to so much of what you've said i also um you know my mother died also when i was a lot younger and so i can't fit into her clothes cuz she weighed about 500 pounds less than i do but she uh yeah i i i'm right there with you um so anyway thank you all um for coming thanks to the audience for coming it's lovely to see some familiar faces who keep coming back month after month stephen you know who you are um Uh, The recording of this reading hopefully will be up on our YouTube channel next week. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. And the next second Sunday reading will be next year. I find that just impossible to believe. Um, So hopefully I will see all of you on Sunday, January 8th. And I hope in the meantime that you have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you have a wonderful series of holidays, whatever you celebrate, and lots of peace and quiet and so many more poems in the new year. Thank you so, so much. It's been a wonderful, wonderful afternoon.